This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1 as we continue this Bible study. And uh, I do pray that it's been a blessing to your heart and uh, you have made some notes in your, in your word and uh, have been able to grow in grace as the writer so craftily, wonderfully, and inspirely admonishes to be. So I'm going to pick up again tonight with verse number one. This is basically where we left off. So I'll read this verse of scripture here in just a moment, but if you found the place, first or second Peter, second Peter chapter one. Now I left off with the first two words in verse number one, Simon Peter. Now at the time that this second epistle was written. Peter's name had been not only mentioned in almost all of the known world at that time. The stories had circulated about him, the happenings with Jesus. And so people everywhere were familiar with Peter. And when I thought about that, I I can only imagine that by the time that he begins to write this second epistle, that probably everywhere he went, everywhere he went, somebody was calling out to him and maybe perhaps asking him questions. Maybe, maybe somebody asked him, Peter, tell us all tonight or tell us all today what Jesus was really like. What was it like to be in his presence? And imagine all of the lessons and all of the stories that Peter had to share about knowing the Lord in a personal and an intimate way. Maybe, maybe somebody said, Peter, because they're well familiar with the stories that were being passed and circulated all over the place. Maybe somebody would ask him something like this. Peter, tell us what it was really like to walk on the water. Because you are the only man other than Jesus to walk on the water. What was that like? I mean, I think that if I came into his presence, living in the day, I certainly would want him to tell me what that was like, walking on the water. Maybe somebody said, Peter, tell us what it was like to actually have seen the Lord ascend from the Mount of Olives back into heaven. What was that like? What was it like, Peter, to have been in that upper room when Jesus appeared and spoke in the midst? Maybe somebody asked him this question, Peter, what was it really like? What did the angel look like who freed you out of Herod's prison? And so there's no doubt when when you think of Peter, Simon Peter, a host of questions come to my mind. What people were very familiar with, what would they have asked him? What would they have talked to him about? How would the conversations go? But I want you to look at this because after Peter's name, Simon Peter, the scripture then gives us 
his status, or it gives us uh, some calling cards, so to speak, of him. Look at this, Simon Peter, and then the word gives us this status, a servant. And that word servant means a bond slave. It means that someone who is totally, totally sold out and dedicated. By this time, he was not saying, by any means, I know not the man. By this time, he was fully committed and fully associated with the Lord. So the word servant is something that we all should take into consideration. I think really our titles as believers, and we'll see this more as this particular study unfolds, that we all as a believer become a servant of the Lord. That's what he wants us to do is to serve him. And all of us, if we, as we have spoke many times before, we all have spiritual gifts. We don't all have the same spiritual gift. And there are reasons for that. And so God equips the body with varieties of gifts. Every believer at least has one. Most every believer has more than one. And it depends upon the way that you live out your faith to where these spiritual gifts the Holy Spirit makes them known to you what they are. But then I want you to look at this very carefully because the word, and we spent a lot of time, don't, don't lose the sight of the fact that we took time to talk about uh, how Peter's name is associated with Simon Peter. We spent an entire Wednesday night on Simon Peter. Now, we look beyond that, and the Word identifies him truly as a servant, but then it goes further than that. Look at this carefully. Peter gives great emphasis to his introduction. He said, Simon Peter, a servant, and then notice, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, the word apostle means sent one. And Peter was definitely sent out personally from the Lord. When you read these first opening words in this verse, verse number one, I don't know if you can follow the footprints, but it is quite a change from the time that John and Andrew brought Peter to the Lord in this little place called Caesarea Philippi. And in just a few months, I'll be taking a group of folks to back to the Holy Land. We'll have a service at that location, Caesarea Philippi. You, you think about this when you remember when Jesus said, uh, he asked them, he said, what are people saying about me? He said, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Elijah. Jesus looked into Peter's eyes and said, but what do you say? And that's when Peter made the great confession. He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You think about his livelihood, his, his trade, the traditions that he was raised in, and how his life now, as we read this in Second Peter, looking back on all of his life, beginning in this relationship with the Lord in Caesarea Philippi is quite a change from being a fisherman. Now he had surrendered to the call. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Quite a drastic change in his life. So after Peter gives his welcome, 
In other words, as he identifies himself or introduces himself, and he begins to list his credentials. I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm an apostle. I'm a sent one, sent out by the Lord himself. The very next thing he does is he begins to address everyone that would read this epistle. So it's, it's a call to the readers, everyone that, that's following. And he says this, to them, that's everyone that reads this epistle, to them that have obtained like precious faith, with us, he says, through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so what he does as he's addressing these readers, he's, look at this very carefully. He says, them that have obtained precious faith. Now, precious faith, this is important because there, there are three kinds of faith. And I want to give you those tonight. And I want you to write them in the margin of your Bible if you're taking those. There are three specific different types of faith. One is saving faith. And saving faith is where our relationship really begins with the Lord. The Holy Spirit opens up our eyes and hearts. And, and I mention this quite often. You know, for the person that tells me, and I have been told this, I don't know, it's the, it's the old song and dance of people on the fence, so to speak. Well, I'm not ready to serve God. I'm not ready to give my heart to Christ. I'm not ready to become a Christian because I haven't lived all my life yet that I want to live and do things my way. But when I'm ready, when I get good and ready, then I'm going to, yeah, I'll become a Christian. The problem with that theology is this. People just don't get saved when they're ready. You say, what do you mean, preacher? In John 6, the word gives us a very clear presentation that except the Spirit draw a person. Listen, the, the Holy Spirit is the instrument. It's the third person of the Godhead. And if, if he has not opened our eyes to the fact that we are lost and we need Jesus, we need redemption, we need a Savior, this is not how salvation works. You just don't wake up one morning and say, well, I think, bless God, I'll get saved today. That's not how it works. The Holy Spirit brings great conviction to your heart. He helps you to realize that we're lost. You see, a person cannot be saved until they realize they're lost. And then they have to realize they need a Savior. They cannot save themselves. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. And so when a person is made aware of those things, now a person can refuse the Holy Spirit and say no. But without the Holy Spirit, we cannot be saved. It is he that brings conviction to our hearts. And so this is how our relationship with the Lord begins. It begins with saving faith. We put our faith in the finished work of the cross. We believe Jesus is who this Bible says he is, the only begotten Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah, the sinless, spotless Lamb, the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world, 
the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We believe by faith. Yes, that's who this Jesus is. And, and I cannot, you cannot, we cannot be saved without him. So saving faith is this. And we pray this every Sunday morning in the altar call, in the call of invitation. We say, and we pray, and by faith, I'm trusting you, Lord Jesus, to be my personal Savior. This is where our relationship with Christ begins. It begins with saving faith. You remember what Jesus said to Thomas, and I referred to this Sunday in the message. Jesus said, okay, Thomas, you have seen me, a wonderful thing. But blessed are they that's coming after you who believe and have not seen. That's, that's what faith, that's where our faith begins. So, number one, there's, there's a saving faith. It's like the scripture Paul said this in Romans, much more than being justified by faith, we shall have peace with God. So, our relationship with the Lord Jesus begins in this element, this realm of saving faith. But after saving faith, secondly, there comes living faith. Every single day, we have to live by faith. Every day is a day of faith. And it's like the scripture says, the just shall live by faith. Every day is a faith life. So there is a saving faith. There is a living faith. And then number three, there's a dying faith. Now, can you, can you go to heaven with just saving faith? Absolutely, yes. Because we are saved in Christ and Christ alone. But the truth of the matter is, once a person, this is where so many people get it messed up. You don't just simply get saved and then go right back a fishing. You don't go right back to the world. You don't go right back to the hog pen. Now, will we ever get to the place where in our Christian experience, we do get into those slumps? We do get into those situations? Absolutely. But that's not the first fruit of the Spirit. That's not what we do immediately upon salvation. The first thing you do when you get saved, when you, and you have led somebody to the Lord, you know what the first response of the first action is? You want to tell somebody. When you get saved, you want to tell somebody what Jesus did for you. I can remember my dad telling me the story that the night he got saved in, in an old Southern Baptist revival meeting, the first thing he did when he left and he was brought up in Roman Catholicism, the first thing he did, he went to my grandfather's house and he said, tonight I gave my heart to Christ. My grandfather pointed his finger in his face and said, you're no longer my son. Now, my dad knew that those were probably the consequences. However, the joy in his heart was so overwhelming, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to tell somebody. And that's what, that's what it's all about. We want to tell somebody what Christ did for us. And we live by faith. We're saved by faith, we live by faith, and we die by faith. It's like the song says, by faith I can see it afar. You know the old song, there's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. Now, I'm so glad. Now, people, people tell me all the time, yeah, I'm not ready to get saved yet. And I've mentioned this. You don't just, it just doesn't happen when you get good and ready. It happens. It's a, it's a thing of the Holy Spirit. 
But then we live by faith and we die by faith. I remember sharing this story many times over the years. A lady said one day, she said, I need some counseling. She said, I'm scared to death at the thought of dying. I can remember, I can tell this story now because James McAllister, he's in heaven, and I wouldn't dare tell it when he was alive sitting in his pew right here, but I can tell you now, he's dead. That's what he said to me. I went to see him over there in Chippenham Hospital, and he said, I said, James, how'd you sleep last night? He said, terrible. He said, Pastor, I didn't get any sleep. I said, what's the matter, James? He said, well, he said, I was afraid that if I went to sleep, I would wake up dead. I said, James, just put it in the Lord's hands, man. Just, just trust the Lord. And here, here's the thing. This lady said to me, she said, I need some counseling. And she said, I'm scared to death of just the thought of dying. And I believe that uh, Brother David touched on this Sunday morning a little bit when he was telling this uh, story and he's, pre he's teaching on uh, valleys in Sunday school. And he, he referenced Psalms 23. Yeah, they'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The thing is this. I told this lady, I said, listen, God hasn't given, when, when we're living in this life, we live by faith. We trust the Lord by faith. And God, it, listen, he doesn't give anybody dying grace when at the same time he gives you living grace. I promise you this, that if Jesus tarries is coming and we all get to the Jordan, and we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I can tell you this, there'll not be one single one of us that will scream out from our deathbed that we have regretted putting our faith and trust in Jesus. We will not do that. I promise you. I have never, ever heard a professing Christian, I mean, who was really, truly saved, say on their deathbed, I regret giving my life to Jesus. I've never heard that. You know why? Because I have put my hands in the hands of many, many, many people on their deathbed. And they have gloriously, well, you know, my dad, when he was passing, he was quoting John 3, 16. How, why, he had peace. He had dying grace. And that's what happens. So we're, we're saved by faith. We live by faith and we die by faith. By faith, we can see it afar. And we just wait for the Spirit of God to take us home. So you look at this. That's what this whole verse number, some mountain of stuff in there. All right, then verse number two. Let's look at this. He says, grace and peace be multiplied. Now think about that just for a minute. If he multiplied the fish and the loaves, he can multiply the grace and the peace. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for his amazing grace. And, and I thank God for peace. I was just sharing this last week with someone who was in dire needs of the peace of God. And I listened to their story. And I sat in my office for a few moments, about an hour or more. And 
I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home tonight and I want you to read Philippians chapter 4. Because there was so much overwhelming drama and problems and heartache and sorrow. And listen, we all have this stuff. I have it. I, I wake up with troubles and trials. I, I go. Uh, I counsel people all day with troubles and trials. I have troubles and trials myself. I'll go to bed tonight with troubles and trials. We we all have troubles and trials. We all do. There is none, none of us who do not have this stuff in our life. We all live complicated lives. We all do. But I shared this with this person in my office. I said, what you need to do is go home and read Philippians chapter 4. I said, read all of it. It's a short read, and you read it all in less than five minutes. And there is a passage of Scripture. Philippians 4 is probably one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. But one of the verses, one of the passages goes on to say this, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just, well, if there be any praise... Think on these things. Sometimes we, we, we are stubborn when it comes to the promises of God, and we would rather listen to the whisper of the devil. You remember what the song says? Many times Satan whispers, there's no need to try. And we, we're just so prone to just say, yeah, you, hey, that's right. I can second that amen. When the truth of the matter is this, listen, the Bible tells us to put on the whole armor of God that we might fight, that we might be able to withstand. Having done all, stand in the evil day. But I shared this verse, probably one of the sweetest passages of Scripture that has meant more to me in the realms of counseling folks through the years is this verse right here, Philippians 4. Seven, And I want to give this word to you tonight. Look at this on the screen here. It says, and the peace of God. You see, it's one thing to have peace with God. And when you become a Christian, when you have saving faith, when you become a born-again believer, then you have peace with God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we shall have peace with God. There's a big difference in having peace with God and having the peace of God. Two different things altogether. Look at this. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. I'm talking about when the waters are just waving over your head. And you have absolutely no human ability to figure out how in the world you're going to navigate through, how you're going to get over this mountain, how you're going to get through that valley. Listen, the peace of God, this is, this is of the Holy Spirit, the peace of God, which passes all of us, when you can't figure it out. Have, have, you, have, have you ever had something that was just so heavy on your heart? And you have had that thing spinning around all. You thought your heart was going to physically burst. And, and you felt like you were going to explode. You felt nervous and you, you were anxious. By the way, this chapter deals with all of that. And, and you just felt like Satan was whipping the living daylights out of you. 
Listen, have you ever had a day like that when all of a sudden you just felt like that your troubles and your worries was lifted and you were able to fall asleep? Maybe you felt like it was a short night, but you woke up and you said, I don't remember falling asleep. It was sort of like God the Holy Spirit just cradled you and rocked you through the night. The peace of God, listen, that passeth all understanding when you can't figure it out. Look at this. Shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I told this person in my office just last week, I said, go home and read Philippians chapter 4. It will make a difference on your life if you receive it. Not just read it. But if you receive it, in Jesus' name, receive it and claim it. I thank God for his grace. I thank God for his peace. I want to share this last. I'm not going to be able to develop verse 3 for you tonight. I just want to read it for you. We'll get back to it a uh, week after next. But this is what Peter says, verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things, that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Now, I don't know how many of you are very familiar with a gentleman in the Old Testament. His name was Mephibosheth. Do you, do you know a little bit about Mephibosheth? He's, it's an odd story and one we don't reference a lot in a name we probably don't call as often as we should. But when I get back to verse number three here, I'm going to tell you the story of Mephibosheth. When I read verse three, I'm reminded of this gentleman. This is a beautiful story of God's grace. Well, it's time to park here tonight and we'll get back into the word at the next appointed time. But listen. Let me encourage you to do what I encouraged this individual to do last week. Sometime before now on Sunday, take, take a moment to read Philippians chapter 4. And, and not just read it, but receive it. Let it sink in and claim it. And claim it in Jesus' name. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.